Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news of the week. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, and I'm here today with Executive Editor John Fiorillo and Senior Market Analyst Kim Tran. Hello, both of you. Let's dive right in. Uh, Kim, you've been working on our new World's Largest Seafood Companies report, and it's a lot more than that. It's uh, a ranking of seafood companies by market cap, by the size of revenues, an analysis of the entire industry, the overarching trends. It's been a big, big, big project, but we want to talk to our readers a little bit about it today and um, give them a sneak preview of some of your hard work and, uh, and highlight a bit of the sheer size of this industry, what's been happening with the consolidation of this industry and um, kind of the new era that we're in. So uh, kicking it over to you, tell us about the report. Tell us what some of the interesting findings are and, and what it's telling us about where the seafood industry is going. So this report, I'm definitely excited for it. It's one of the things that we've been developing for the business intelligence division that I'm spearheading. And it looks at the revenues for the largest companies in the seafood industry, as well as the market cap for some of these companies as well. The, For example, we're also looking at the top deals for 2018 as well as 2019 so far. And it seems like the industry is definitely consolidating further and further as time goes on. I guess what struck me was the volume of the deals that occurred in 2018 and 2019. Um, what was our count on that, Kim, in terms of the overall number of deals that we'd seen in the first half of 2019 and in all of 2018? Because it was significant. So in 2019, um, so far, there's about 40 deals, and this is everything from acquisitions to mergers to um, companies picking up large shares and majority stakes in comp- other companies. And it's definitely on pace to reach how many how many M&As we had last year. For 2018, we had about 70. What's different to me is that we're seeing a lot more cross-border deals than we used to. And John, I don't know if this jumped out at you as well, but you know, a, a few years ago, it seemed like the cross-border deals were just a little bit less. It seemed like companies were a little more reluctant to do it. Um, and that seems like that's it's no longer, people are going to look for growth and they're going to look well beyond their, their doorstep. The internationalization of the supply sector is speeding right along, and and that's you know that is evident in what you just mentioned as far as uh, cross border deals, and, and you know there's also if you look at the money and where it's going, um, a lot of it obviously is going into the aquaculture sector um, because that is the sector that everybody agrees uh, has to do the heavy lifting in the future if. Uh, we're going to be able to supply uh, the demand of the growing world population. What strikes me too is that you've got some of the same names uh, on our top 150 companies list um, that we've seen in recent years, but there's a lot of companies that are really rocketing right on up there um, that have done a lot of a lot of movement. Um, companies like Cook, obviously. Um, but then there's companies like uh, Parlevled and Vanderplas who acquired Deutsche Se and now is um, you know upwards of close to 1.3 billion U.S. dollars in size. 
Um, and they're not the only ones. There's a lot of companies that continue to expand and grow um, and, and are kind of surprising how quickly they're moving up on the on the list. Um, the other thing that, uh, as I mentioned, that we looked at was market cap of the public companies. And um, Kim, you tracked down, uh, I think it was well over 50 companies and we filtered through which ones just didn't quite make the cut. We really wanted to focus on the ones that mattered. Um, what were some of the findings there in terms of, um, was there any companies that were uh, surprising uh, with their size uh, when you started doing this ranking? We looked at only the big players for the market cap. And out of the 55 publicly listed companies that I tracked down, if you add up their market cap in total, it comes out to about $53.5 billion US dollars. And just the top 10 is nearly 40 billion. Yeah, it was, it, some of these are really big. So it just goes to show how much consolidation has been happening. And it's really pushing some of the smaller companies to try to inch up on this list. One of the things that, that was interesting when you, when I'm looking at the top 10 ranking here in front of me, um, is the amount of companies that are Norwegian salmon farming companies. And this is a movie sits right at the top with a $12.8 billion market cap. So while we can say, oh, you know, Maruha um, Nichiro and Sui and Tai Union and, and, um, and companies that of, of, uh, of that size that have been at the top of the revenue uh, ranking for a long time for us, when you look at market cap, it's kind of a much more interesting um, interesting way to evaluate what's been happening in this industry. So, um, you know, we, we see a lot of the big ones up there on the list. We see Movie, Leroy, um, uh, Baca Frost is up there. So, you know, salmon has become just a, a sector unto itself. And as this consolidation happens more and more, uh, we're looking at some gigantic, gigantic companies here. Yeah, good point, Drew. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that a billion-dollar seafood company was was rare, and um, not anymore. I mean, you obviously just pointed out uh, movie is twelve billion in market cap alone. So uh, we. Uh, we are definitely in a hyper consolidation period in this industry and probably will stay in that period, I would say, for definitely the next five years, if not longer. The challenging part of, Kim, you doing your report has been, honestly, that we've had to go back and update our M&A section <laughs> from when you started, that there's been additional mergers, acquisitions, and JVs since you started putting together this report. And so I think I think you're ready to get it off your plate and get it out the door. I definitely am. Just in, I think in August, there was about, it was about seven that I tracked down in just August. So I definitely need to um, tie a neat little bow on this. It, otherwise, I'll just keep adding to the M&A list. So one of the interesting things that, um, that you tracked too, Kim, was um, you, you integrated our CEO survey and you integrated our CEO pay um, uh, ranking as well. And that's really fun to do. Um, we actually look at that each year, uh, look at the CEO's base and additional, uh, we try to, try to figure out their, you know, the, the shares and other things they get in addition. 
And then we compare that with their share performance. And, um, and that has been interesting to track. And this year, you know, most everybody on a ranking, they, they were, their companies were in the black and, and the share prices were, were up for most of them. So, um, so you can see that the optimism and the growth in the industry is pretty well warranted. Um, when we did our, our uh, CEO, or, or sorry, executive survey, and we got over 300 respondents for that, um, what was interesting to me was just the overall general uh, positivity about growth. Um, about uh, many of them said, yes, we will be making investments. Many of them said that, um, yes, we're, we're going to be looking at uh, joint ventures, mergers, acquisitions. I mean, it's re we're really in a bullish period uh, in this in this sector. So, um, yeah, and, and just in terms of the overarching kind of driving trends, I mean, John, any just uh, wrap up in your mind a couple bullet points on sort of the macro trends that are that are driving this. One one thing we looked into a little bit was uh, consumption around the world, and um, you see the average uh, per capita consumption number globally steadily increasing i think we went back three or four years and it's um increased every year so i mean i guess the short story there is more and more people especially in uh, asia and elsewhere are consuming more and more seafood so it's you know, they, have, they have to be fed and we have to produce it again it's probably aquaculture is going to that's going to do the heavy lifting because uh, wild capture fisheries are at their um, peak right now, their maximum. So, uh, but that's good news. In terms of the overall revenues of the more or less top 150 that you ranked, um, what are we looking at in total revenue for those companies? So we're looking upwards of 120 billion and like I similar to market cap, the top 10 definitely hold a good percentage of that share. They, the top 10 are a little more than 42 billion out of that 120 billion. And I mean, okay. So, I mean, that shows you right there to the level of consolidation that we're at. Um, because if you look at the top 10 and our number 10 is Kyokuyo, the Japanese, uh, Japanese seafood supplier. And then, um, you know, you still have, like you said, John, it used to be that in, uh, you know, maybe 15 years ago when we first did our, our first seafood ranking, it was kind of a big deal if there was a billion dollar company. Um, so after Kyokuyo at 10, um, you still have a big run of billion dollar companies all the way down. In fact, you get down to number 30. Uh, you get down to Bumblebee before we start dropping below the billion dollar mark. So, um, yeah, the industry is getting bigger and bigger and, uh, and bigger. So, yeah, so there's more, more uh, to watch in this space. It's going to be interesting to see how all of this changes when we do next year's report. Um, because it's certainly it's changing rapidly. Um, market cap in particular, obviously, now we're going to track that very regularly uh cam when you when you start uh your seafood investor insider feature on intrafish.com um we'll be able to see these fluctuations on the market cap because they do fluctuate pretty wildly um and especially i think you'll see um 
with this trade war between the U.S. and China lingering with Brexit, we're probably going to see some reshuffling there. Um, and certainly if you are publicly listed, then you could argue that you're technically for sale, right? So any of these public companies could be up for grabs and just, you know, looking down the list of these uh, of these groups. There's certainly a lot of companies that you could argue are undervalued, and there's certainly a, a lot of companies you could argue are overvalued. Um, it's expensive out there, and when you talk to companies, when we've talked to executives that have been um, looking to make acquisitions uh, or talking to uh, M&A advisors or people in the, in the financial uh, community about deals, a lot of them are saying the same thing, and that's that it's expensive out there, that companies are really they're getting high multiples, they're asking for high multiples, and maybe they are a little bit unrealistic in the overall value of their company. Um, but, uh, but that remains to be seen, and the price of a company is the price that somebody is willing to pay for it. Well, well one other thing, Drew, on the valuation real quick. Um, uh, kind of a, a development we're seeing in, in the valuation is related to climate change. You're starting to see in quarterly reports and annual reports, particularly those of salmon, or not salmon farmers, but agriculture companies, um, references to impacts from climate change, whether it be warmer weather, um, you know, algae, algae blooms, whatever it may be. So that's something to keep an eye on um, as you, as we go along and, you know, monitor the valuation of, of uh, these various companies. Kim, that's a good that's a good question too to you. I mean, in your research, when you're looking through annual reports of these companies, are there any kind of larger overarching trends in terms of what companies are thinking about, what they're trying to uh, get across to investors about their business? Jumping off of what John was talking about, I guess sustainability initiatives out there that are coming down the pipeline, whether it's from pressure from consumers or governments. Uh, regulations, and these are all obviously unfunded mandates, and they're expected to build this into their their back end and have it in their supply chain someplace. So all of this is going to definitely impact their bottom line. So that's just a trend I've been seeing, especially with the larger companies. Kim, uh, tell us a bit about uh, some of the margins that we're seeing from these companies as well. Um, when, because you, you also analyze the EBITDA margins of uh, of the companies, so what are we seeing in terms of profitability from these uh, from the seafood industry? Is it uh, is it happy times? Yes, I definitely say that I've been seeing that being the trend, especially for um, I see it, you know, positive positive outlook for the salmon companies, the far salmon farming companies, not so much the processors, but overall, I'd say, yes, definitely. All right. Well, thanks, Kim. We're going to be looking forward to more of these findings. We'll be looking uh, forward to revealing them to our readers and putting together this report and getting it out to our audience. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody.